Welcome to the Baseball Neighborhood. I'm your host, Tavi, and this week we're going to talk about the Colorado Rockies. So, the Colorado Rockies might be a relatively new franchise, but baseball has been played in Denver almost as long as professional baseball has been played. The Denver Bears, who also went by a slew of other names, as minor league teams are wont to do, they were founded in 1885 and existed as a minor league team, or in some form or another, on and off until the 1950s. In 1955, an official AAA team was formed and called the Denver Zephyrs, and they were affiliated with just about every American League team at one point or another. When the Rockies came to town in the 90s, the Zephyrs moved down to New Orleans. While they were located there, for a time, they were known as the New Orleans Baby Cakes. When the team relocated to Wichita, they changed the name. Anyways, you may remember from previous podcasts that Denver was brought up often as a possible relocation or expansion city, including in that ill-fated Continental League that was really just kind of about getting the Mets into New York. Anyways, a few different teams made noises about moving to Denver. Apparently, during the Pittsburgh drug trials, which we will absolutely talk about in a future podcast, the Pirates considered a fresh start in Denver, but ultimately decided to stay. And of course, the A's were rumored to be coming to Denver, but they eventually settled in Oakland. The quest for expansion actually started in 1985, when players and owners agreed to a new CBA. At the time, the American League had two more teams than the National League. The addition of the Denver Rockies and the, at the time, Florida Marlins, that evened up the numbers. Even before the team was formed, there were ownership issues. After one of the founding owners was caught up in a financial scandal, one of the people who bought into the franchise was Charlie Monfort. Later, Dick Monfort also got involved, and ownership and leadership rules changed hand a few times. But basically, in 2011, Dick Monfort became the chairman and CEO, and, well, we'll hear more about him in the interview portion. The Rockies played their first season in Denver in the Mile High Stadium, which they shared with the Denver Broncos while Coors Field was under construction. They moved into their new stadium in 1995 and have been there ever since. As of this publication date, including the four-game 2021 opening weekend series, the Rockies and the Dodgers have faced off 469 times. Nice. And, well, the Rockies have won 193 of those games, and the Dodgers have won 276 of those games. The last time they faced off was in the postseason, and it was that famed 163 game of the 2018 season. The Dodgers won and eventually advanced to the World Series against the Red Sox, and we all know how that turned out. Anyways, enough history. Let's get on to the interview. So I want to welcome to the podcast Michaela Perkins, who is one of the hosts of the DNVR Rockies podcast. And uh, we're speaking on day three of a four-game series. Uh, Rockies won the first one. Dodgers took the second one. Both games were full of hijinks in some ways. Um, so, but my first question is actually, what does it feel like to be a Rockies fan right now? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Uh, it's a little painful at the moment. Unfortunately, you know, we had to say goodbye to the best third baseman in baseball this off season, Nolan Arnato going to the Cardinals and the Rockies kind of getting a peanut butter sandwich in return. So 
It's been a bit of a rocky beginning to the season, pun intended. <laughs> um, but, you know, baseball's back. Uh, I got to go to the opening day festivities at Coors Field. I've been to the ballpark every day so far this series, and it's hard not to still be excited and to still feel joy when, you know, you're at the ballpark and you're getting to to watch baseball live after the crazy year that we've all experienced. So um, from my point of view, it's not as sad as it was a couple of months ago, but overall, you know, I think Rockies fans are having a little bit of a hard time kind of accepting that Nolan is no longer in the purple pinstripes. Um, it's been, you know, just a rough, rough couple of months for Rockies fans, you know, the ownership and the general manager have kind of alienated that fan base, unfortunately, and they're going to have to deal with some of that fallout. So uh, I kind of feel bad for Rockies fans at the moment, but I'm also very happy that baseball is back. So it's kind of like a bittersweet type of feeling. Yeah, we'll definitely get into all of that. But first, I wanted to ask, uh, what did you feel about opening day? What was that like? And, you know, oh, you guys trounced awesome. us. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Not only was the game spectacular from a Rocky standpoint, but the pregame festivities, you know, hearing the national anthem, the Jets flying overhead, getting to see everyone out there on the third and first baseline lined up. It was just really cool. I mean, you know, the Rockies have a lot of guys that are new to the roster this year that didn't make the opening day roster last year. So, you know, kind of getting to see some of those guys live out their dream and finally make an opening day roster was really cool. Opening day was just incredible in general, just because like I said, you know, we've all experienced such an insane last year without live sports that to, you know, finally be back in the stadium and, um, you know, getting to watch live baseball was really fantastic. I mean, opening day is should be a national holiday, in my opinion. It's my favorite day of the year. I'm like a kid on Christmas the night before. I can't sleep because I'm so excited. So, you know, getting to be there in person was an honor, and I will never take that for granted because I know a lot of people couldn't be there. But opening day is just opening day. Like, it's America's pastime. The doors are open. People are back in the ballpark. It was so cool to watch, and um, it was really cool to be a part of, too. Oh, fantastic. So uh, we're going to, we're going to step back in history just a little bit. Uh, were you around when the Rockies franchise began back in the nineties? I was not. So no. <laughs> I was born in 96 and gotcha. the Rockies got their uh, expansion franchise in 93. So right. I am three years younger than the Rockies, um, but I'm really fortunate because by the time I was born, the Rockies had already been here for three seasons. So I was automatically born into the franchise. I'm a huge Rockies fan. I grew up in Colorado. I'm from Colorado. So, you know, I've been breathing and eating the purple and black since I was literally born. Um, and, you know, I have had this dream of getting to cover and talk about baseball forever since I was like nine years old. And so getting to do it now for the team that I grew up watching is really, really cool. But yeah, the Rockies are three years older than myself. <laughs> no worries. Not to I, make anyone feel yeah. bad. Oh, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm 35. I know I'm I'm starting my baseball career later than most people do. Uh, but no, I just, I asked because I was, uh, I was in school, I want to say grade school, when the Titans came to town. And I just remember what a hullabaloo that was. And um, so anyway, not no big deal. Uh, that just means you get to be a lifelong fan where some people don't. It's true. Go. It's very true. I, I get to consider myself one of the few lifelong Rockies fans. Fantastic. So uh, let's do talk a little bit about the Arenado trade, just because that is something that is big. Uh, I know every Dodgers fan, well, not every Dodgers fan, more of the, the more delusional Dodgers fans thought he was going to become a Dodger. 
Uh, I don't think that was ever going to happen. I think the Cardinals is a good place for him uh, as far as what he expects out of a team. Um, but what did that news feel like as a fan? Because it, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. You know, right. he had been unhappy for a while. But when it finally happened, what it, and especially the way it happened and what you guys didn't get back, uh, what does that yeah. feel like? total devastation to be honest um you know working around in in the media especially in baseball there were rumblings that nolan was extremely unhappy with you know the general manager jeff freidich the operational issues within the organization and kind of just the front office as a whole so you know we were kind of not prepared because i don't think anything can prepare you for losing that type of player from your organization especially in the way that we lost him. But we were, you know, we were kind of aware that Nolan was very unhappy with the Rockies. And so, you know, when the offseason started and people started, the trade rumors started heating up, the hot stove was cooking, you know, we obviously knew he wasn't going to the Dodgers because, you know, our front office might be inept, but they're not inept enough to trade him within the division. So we weren't worried about him going to a division team or a NL West division team, but, you know, we were very aware that there was a good chance that he was not going to be a Rocky come opening day. So when the news broke, it was actually pretty late in the night. I think it was around like seven or eight o'clock that the news broke Colorado time that Nolan had gotten traded. And I remember getting the notification on my phone from ESPN and I was like, what like there's no like this is like there's an error like so like, an intern messed up somewhere like this can't be happening like I really was in disbelief because I just didn't think this is the timing of it was so weird and I it just really caught me off guard and so you know we didn't really know what we were going to be getting back for Nolan so I kind of went through all of these different phases of like a reaction like okay this sucks I was very upset you know very heartbroken but then I was trying to you know be the internal optimist or I was like okay, well, you know, he's a little bit older, that his contract was really expensive. Like maybe we're going to be getting some amazing prospects in return. Like, I guess I was thinking like the Rockies were going to get at least two top 10 prospects from the Cardinals system in return for the best third baseman in baseball. You know, we weren't going to have to worry about his salary because this year was really hard for small market baseball teams with not having fans in the stand. So I was trying to kind of like calm myself down because my first reaction was to drive down to Coors Field and yell at the general manager for trading the best of baseman in baseball. But I had to rein it in a little because, you know, we, we can't be doing those types of things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was just like, I don't want to sound dramatic, but it was very like earth shattering. And it's just something that when I, after the news had broke and I kind of had a day or two to sit with it, like I went through all the stages of a, like a grief process. I was mad. I was sad. I was in denial. I was upset. And then, you know, I kind of started to feel okay with it. And then we figured out what we got in return. And then it just went all the way back to the mad and angry stage because, you know, um, I, to be honest, hadn't even heard of two of the, or three of the five prospects that we got back for Nolan. So, you know, Austin Gomber being the only person that I really had any knowledge of just because, you know, he got a little playing time in the major leagues um, last season. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was just very hard to swallow it. I don't think I'll ever really come to terms with it. And, you know, I've talked to a couple people now on different podcasts about this situation. And I truly, truly believe this was the worst trade 
in the history of baseball. I'm sorry, Babe Ruth, you gotta admit, you gotta move over, you gotta take your second place seat now because this seriously, in my opinion, is the worst trade in the history of baseball. Not only did we give up the best third baseman in baseball, we also had to eat $50 million of that salary and we didn't get hardly any prospects in return. I mean, a lot of the guys that we got back are going to be stuck in the minor league system for a couple years. Like the only person who's contributing to the team now is Austin Gomber. And we don't really know what he can do. I mean, he's the last pitcher in the rotation or fourth pitcher in the rotation. So, you know, it's not like we got all these great prospects in return. And I just don't think there's any way to justify it. Like any way you look at this trade, it's just bad for the Rockies. They got fleeced by the Cardinals. And, you know, I know you mentioned earlier that it was, um, a good place for Nolan to land. And I definitely agree. Um, you know, the Cardinals, they can draft and develop talent like no other. Like they're a team that's really good at scouting properly, finding those good prospects, and then not wasting any of that potential and turning them into major league talent. And so, you know, not that Nolan is a prospect, but the whole organization from top down just seems to run a lot better, a lot smoother than the Rockies organization does. And St. Louis is a baseball town. I was mm. fortunate enough to go to a game at Bush Stadium before COVID happened. And those people love their Cardinals. Like it is a diehard baseball town. And I think they're really going to appreciate Nolan. I think Nolan's talent really got looked over in, in Colorado because Colorado is a small market team. It's an expansion team. So it hasn't been around as long as the Cardinals organization has. And, you know, with the whole Coors Field thing, people were really kind of doubting Nolan's talent and trying to find ways to undersell him because of the altitude and the outfield at Coors Field and whatever else excuse they could find where I don't think they're going to be able to do that in St. Louis. And I think Nolan's really going to be able to shine and finally get the like recognition that he deserves because he is a generational talent. And I think he has a good shot at winning NL MVP this year. So I'm excited for him because I think, you know, the Cardinals are a great spot for him to go. But I'm very sad for the Rockies, especially with all the things considered. And it's just, it was not a good it's not a good day to be a Rockies fan when he got traded. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, I, I'll say, you know, we were always nervous when he, I'm, oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I almost called him by his nickname. Do you, are you aware of the nickname that Dodgers fans have for him? No. We call him, and <laughs> it is absolutely given with love, but we do sometimes call him Norman Avocado. Um <laughs> It is a, it is a loving, it is a very loving, we absolutely respect his talent. We're very, very happy. He's going to be on a team with him, but yeah, no, every now and then I sometimes call him Norman avocado. I didn't give him that nickname. I don't know where the nickname originated, but a through a certain subset of Twitter, that's his nickname, but again, give him with love because we actually, we really do like watching him. Um, any, any, any player who plays like that, no matter what team he's going to be on, except for maybe like, you know, that one we're going to love and, 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 and respect. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit more. So you mentioned um, the fact that you got back a bunch of prospects, given what you know about what's going on in the organization now, after that athletic article and a couple other things that have come out, um, do you have faith in your farm system to be able to turn these? You're already shaking your head. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, what's, what's, what's going on there in the farm system? Uh, I wish I had a concrete answer. And I think if I did, I would be actually working for the Rockies, but 
I think it's unfortunately a combination of a lot of different issues. Um, you know, the Rockies have the 27th worst farm system in baseball and going into the year 2021. Last year, they had the 29th worst farm system in baseball. And you would hope that when you traded the best third baseman in baseball, you could improve your farm system drastically enough to where you don't just move up two spots from the year prior. Um, obviously, that's not the case. And now we're still very much in the same position that we've been in for a while where, you know, our farm system isn't anything to be scared of. Like, it's really frustrating because not only do, you know, not only does the big league roster not really reflect anything to be excited about, but then also our future doesn't either because we don't really have a good farm system or anything to look forward to. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, a lot of the blame falls on ownership because, you know, the owner who, I mean, obviously he owns the Rockies and, you know, minor league teams are operate very independently from the major league system. But I just think there's a culture within the entire organization that is not conducive to drafting and developing talent. And, you know, our analytics department is non-existent. Was it um, two people? No, yeah. Thing, I was going to, I was going to ask about two, that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a two-person analytic department, and not only is the size of it the issue, but the fact that the general manager doesn't listen to the people in the analytic department is another issue. So I think, you know, the ownership and the culture of the organization is an issue, and then I think the general manager is a huge issue. Um, you know, in the athletic article, not only were the people in the analytic department working as clubbies, overtime after they had done their normal nine to five job, but then they were at the ballpark until 2 a.m. doing a clubby job, not getting paid for it. Um, so that obviously is another huge issue, but I think that's, again, an organizational issue. They didn't want to pay part-time people to be clubbies. They just wanted to cut corners and save money and make people do a job that they didn't sign up for. Um, but, you know, they had spent all this time doing the job that they had been hired to do and then taking their analysis and their reports to general manager just to be ignored. I mean, Breitich, you know, there were multiple instances in that article where Breitich asked them to do something, they did it, and then he did the complete opposite of what their report found. Um, you know, they were talking about the Ian Desmond situation where, you know, he asked for a list of people who would be good in this position and Ian Desmond was last on the list. And then Ian Desmond gets a contract extension and is the first person that he wants on the to play that position after the analytic department said, I don't think that's a good idea. So, you know, I just don't think um, Breidich is the person to be the general manager of this organization. I don't think he should be a general manager anywhere. Um, unfortunately, you know, there are some things about um, his personality that rub people a, a wrong way. Like, you know, I think he takes the fact that he graduated from Harvard very seriously and he doesn't let people ever forget that he graduated from Harvard and, he, you know, he kind of has to be the smartest person in the room. Otherwise, his ego kind of gets um, a little hurt and he is very egotistical and can't really take any outside advice or outside opinions um, if it's not something that, like, he thought of himself because he has to be the one that's in control. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's just... Um, it just starts with the top. It's a top-down issue. They don't have the right owner. They don't have the right general manager. Um, and unfortunately, the owner doesn't really seem to want to fix any of those issues. It's 
to me very much seems like the Rockies are a way to fund his real estate interests and his real estate development interests, the owners, um, which is really sad for the fans of Colorado because, you know, team like sports and um, sports teams are really a huge cultural thing for cities. And if you treat them right and the people of the city can get behind your organization, like you're gonna like create something that is so meaningful to the people of that city. And unfortunately the Rockies just haven't been able to do that. And like I said, I really just think it's a top-down issue. Like if, you know, the owner and the general manager were two different people who really cared about winning and wanting to put a winning product on the field, our organization would reflect that. But winning is not their priority. Their priority is making money. And that's really sad for Colorado. Yeah. And also, it seems like there's a lack of trust uh, between about, you know, what they say and what they do is very frustrating. I'll tell you, my first impression of, of Rocky's ownership was actually, uh, I finally got to get to a game in 2019, uh, Dodgers Rockies. And during the seventh inning stretch, they were just like flinging Cracker Jacks down at people in the crowd from ownership box. And I was like, that that's a choice. <laughs> that's a weird choice to just flick it. And everything that I've kind of seen since that's kind of the thing. It's like, we're up here, we're these people, you, the people out there just are going to deal with what we have. And I, I, I remember thinking back on that one act of like being very symbolic of kind of how they operate is like, we have the power, we're going to dole it out in fits and we're not going to really pay attention to where we're flinging. Yeah. It. Not to get too political, but it's very Trump throwing paper towels at hurricane survivor-esque energy. <laughs> you're not wrong there, actually. You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> So, so what if fans, I mean, you've given your opinion. Um, do, do you think that most fans know what's going on? Do they care? Um, yeah. Because that was a big news. That was big news. Um, yeah, but some, no. some people like to not care and not fake, focus on it. But what do you think is going to happen? Like, is it going to reach a tilting, a, a tipping point at some point that, when is it going to start to affect those numbers you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, no, the people here really care. Like when the news first broke, like, it was an outrage. Like people set up um, a like a memorial type thing outside of Coors Field for Nolan. Like, <laughs> like it was. It's been a big deal, and like it's still a big deal. Like people are still talking about it. Like people are boycotting. They're not going to Rocky's games. Um, unfortunately, it's not enough of them to hurt Dick Monfort's wallet. So you know, in order for things to change, it's gonna take hitting rock bottom and unfortunately we haven't hit rock bottom yet I think you know there's still some pieces on the team that get people excited like Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman um, understandably understandably they're great players right and unfortunately you know I think what contributes to the issue is like Denver is not like a die hard sports city a lot of the teams that um, are here haven't been here for very long or if they have been here for long, they haven't had a lot of success. So like the Nuggets, they've never won an NBA championship before. Um, you know, the Avs have had two Stanley Cup wins, but they were both in the 90s and in the early 2000s. So they haven't been good for almost 20 years. Um, you know, the Broncos obviously are kind of an outlier there. Denver is very much a Broncos city. Like mm -hmm. everyone is a diehard Broncos fan, but they kind of swap other team franchises for like baseball or, or um, hockey or basketball. Um, and so... And since the Rockies are also relatively new 
compared to other teams. A lot of people, you know, Denver's a transplant city. A lot of people move here. A lot of people aren't from here originally. So they move here and they bring their allegiance to the team that they were already fans of when they get here. So, you know, when the Dodgers are in town, you know, pre-COVID, half of the stadium is blue because, yep. you know, half the people yeah. in Colorado are from California and are Dodgers <laughs> fans. So, you know, unfortunately, Denver has that working against them of being a transplant city. And so, you know, um, people like this would never fly in St. Louis. Like this would never fly mm -hmm. in New York. Like this type of stuff would never happen in those types of cities. But I think because of the culture that we have, it's more permissible. And like, you can't change that, right? Like you can't kick out all the Texans. You can't kick out all the Californians. Like <laughs> you can't make only people who are Rockies fans live here in Colorado. So, right. um, you know, that kind of contributes to the issue too. And, um, you know, I don't really see anything changing until we really hit rock bottom. And unfortunately, like I said, that hasn't happened yet. Like I firmly believe Trevor's story is going to get traded before the deadline. So there's another piece gone. Um, and at that point, like you have to tear down and you have to start a rebuild, but I don't want Jeff Breidich being the person in charge of that rebuild because I don't trust him at all. And we also don't have any analytic, <laughs> we don't have an analytic department. So like, who's going to be the person that's yeah. going to negotiate trades and like start looking towards the draft and trying to figure out who they're like, it just is a whole mess. Like they're really, it's like a, like a toxic cycle that like we haven't broken yet. And like, we have to figure out how to break the wheel because, um, I think as long as Dick Monfort's making money, there's no reason for him to trick, like to change anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if a way if like fans from other teams are still coming to Coors Field and they're still going and still paying for tickets, like, you know, it's just, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, no, it's I get all it, yeah. just like a giant cycle. And like, it's so hard to break that cycle. But I like, I think if, you know, Trevor Story gets treated, they start a rebuild and then they are like 2018 Baltimore Orioles bad, then I think that is kind of when hopefully things will start to change. Um, you know, the Rockies are one of the very few baseball teams that don't have a president of baseball operations or a CEO. So the only people really making decisions are unfortunately the general manager and the owner. Um, in that athletic article, it was revealed that Dick Monfort was the person who was negotiating the business side of the deal while uh, Jeff Breidich was doing the prospect side of the deal. And I never in my life have heard of an owner of a baseball team being that involved on the operational side of stuff where he's negotiating the business side of a trade. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, in order for things to change, I think the Rockies need to be really bad. People need to stop going to the game because the product isn't great. Um, Monfort either needs to take a step back as the owner, because I don't think Monfort's going to sell the team. Um, I think it is intended to be like a family thing. So like his son is going to take over after Monfort kind of steps down. So I think, you know, Monfort either needs to step down and let his son take over, or he needs to hire a president of baseball operations and CEO to make those decisions so that he can just kind of be like an omnipotent figure way off in the distance, not involved in any of the decision-making processes. And then we need a new general manager desperately. Um, and so I think until you know, all those things happen. I think we're just going to kind of be stuck in this limbo where we're kind of good one year, we're kind of bad another year. Maybe we make it to the playoffs. Maybe we don't never really bringing in any big free agent names, but like signing guys that are kind of like at the end of their career. It's just, yeah. it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. So, so moving off a little bit of, of ownership, but knowing what you know about ownership now, how does that color your opinion of Bud Black as a manager? 
Um, I feel bad for him. I really do. I don't really think, you know, fans can put much of the blame of the issues of the Rockies on Bud Black's shoulders. You know, obviously, if a game is happening and there's a questionable game decision that, you know, he pulled a pitcher too soon or he left a pitcher in too long or his like lineup decision just didn't make any sense, like then I think that's when it's okay to be mad at Bud Black. But I think to be upset at him for what's been going on is putting the blame on the wrong person. You know, a manager in baseball is kind of different from the other sports because, you know, they very much have to work with the roster that they're given. Like, you know, in football, the head coach kind of gets to work with the general manager and making some draft choices and, you know, um, some trade choices and all that stuff, which I'm sure Bud gets to kind of put his input in. But obviously nobody's listening to him. If, if you know, if Jeff isn't <laughs> going to listen to the analytics department, he's not going to listen to Bud Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you, you know, unfortunately, I feel really bad for him. And um, the previous general manager, Walt Weiss, was in a very similar situation where, you know, he really did not get along with Breidich at all. Like there were some major relationship issues between those two. And Walt walked into Monfort's office and was like, it's him or me. And unfortunately, Monfort picked Breidich and Walt walked out. So, you know, I think being a manager of the Colorado Rockies is a very, very difficult position to be in. And I feel for him because he's got to work with what he's given and he's been given the short end of the stick to put it nicely. So I really, I feel for him. I do. I don't envy his position. I don't envy his job. And uh, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to be in his shoes. Um, Fortunately, you know, outside of all the organizational issues, the people on the team are people worth cheering for, and they're all phenomenal human beings. Um, And so thankfully, you know, at least he's got some good humans to to work with and to kind of soften the blow of his unfortunate job. Um, But yeah, it's, it's not a great time to be blood black right now. On top of that, uh, one of the things that I read, I can't remember if it was in the analytics article in the athletic or the owner's article in the athletic, but it did mention that Charlie Blackman basically developed his own hitting plan without any any help from from staff because there was no staff to help and that it uh, specifically talking about transitioning from altitude to to sea level kind of transitions um has that helped the team like is is that are you guys just going to start churning out like like potential coaches now I guess is what I'm getting at like because the players are having to do it themselves and they're having some success it seems like, you know, um, I don't think yeah, it's I mean, sustainable because that's not over 500. Job. Yeah, yeah. I, was yeah, say, I mean, Charlie hit over 500 for a couple games at the beginning of the year. So, yeah. I mean, obviously something that he's doing is working, but I think he shouldn't be put in a position where it's what he has to do. Um, you know, I think it just goes back to the fact that Monfort isn't willing to invest into the team in a way that like a baseball team needs to be invested in, right? Like bringing in top-notch personnel, bringing in top-notch equipment, bringing in top-notch trainers and coaches and staff and all that type of stuff. Like, you know, even outside of like the baseball operational stuff, like everybody that I know works there wears multiple hats. Like if you're working in the social media department, you're also in a PR role. Like if you're working in game production, you're also in like fan engagement role. Like it's not just like, this is your one job. So like they just cut corners any and every way they can, which like, I understand when you're a small market, like that's just kind of unfortunately some of the decisions you have to make, but not to that extreme, right? Like you can't compromise the product for like saving money. 
Like you have to be able to find a right balance of not overspending, but like not under investing either. And I don't think the Rockies have found that balance and it affects every aspect of the team. It affects the employees, the game day employees, the, the front office staff, the coaches, the, it affects everybody. And it's really unfortunate that, you know, Charlie was put in a position to do that. I mean, maybe he really did want to just like make his own hitting plan. I mean, I can't speak for Charlie, obviously. I don't, I'm not inside his head and I can't you know, unfortunately tell you why, if, you know, maybe he just really wanted to do it on his own, or if he just felt like there's nobody here that can do it for me. So I have to, Mm -hmm. but he shouldn't be in a position where he feels like that's his only option. Like they need to invest in hitting coaches. They need to invest in pitching coaches. Like they need to bring in people who are going to make the players better, but they're not going to do that because I just don't think they care about having a successful product. Like it's just about, making money and putting butts in seats for the lowest possible cost, if that makes sense. No, it does. I think it's very telling that um, a lot of the staff members who've left just left baseball. They were just done with baseball. Done. Um, And, and that's really unfortunate because, you know, there, there's, there has to be some talent in there. You don't, you don't keep things running for as long as you do without having some success, but okay, let's, let's, let's uh, move on and look forward a little bit now. famously you know you guys unfortunately lost kind of the face of your franchise who is that now is that Trevor Story is that Charlie Blackman who who is that face that's on the poster now right now it's definitely Trevor Story um and then Charlie Blackman is a close second um you know I think it's kind of scary to put another face on a franchise that is so in limbo because like I said I really feel like the Rockies are going to move Trevor before the trade deadline So you go from losing one face to another face, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is going to be, again, very upsetting for Rockies fans. But at this point, there's really no way that they can keep him. Um, They're not going to be able to afford to pay him what he's worth. And if, you know, Francisco Lindor's contract is any indication of what talented shortstops are going for nowadays, he's Mm -hmm. out of here in a heartbeat. And I I can't blame him. Like, I wouldn't want to play for this organization either. I've my contract was expiring and be like, get me on the first train out of here. Like (laughs) I'm gone. So, you know, I don't really blame him and the Rockies aren't going to be able to pay him. And, um, you know, so it's sad to say that like their now face of the franchise isn't going to be the face of the franchise come July, which is Mm -hmm. so crazy to think about. Um, and you know, if Trevor moves, then why would you hang on to Charlie? Why would you hang on to Herman Marquez? Why would you hang on to Antonio Sensatella? Like, it's just, I think we're witnessing right now the slow um, uh, disintegration, I guess, of the Colorado Rockies as we know it. And it's really sad because Rocky Twins don't deserve that. Um, and I think they're in for a, a rocky ride coming up, um, again, pun intended. But yeah, I mean, if, if I had to pick a face of the franchise who I think is going to be, you know, there for longer than the trade deadline... Um, you know, the Rockies have some younger guys that are coming up now. Um, you know, Josh Fuentes, who mm-hmm. is Nolan Arnott's cousin, as we all like to be told by ESPN on the broadcast. All the time, all times. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Josh Fuentes looks really promising. You know, Rogers is hurt right now, um, which is really unfortunate because he was kind of their top prospect in the system before, you know, he got injured during spring training. Um, so um, Sam Hilliard is looking great as an outfield prospect. Ryan Altapia is awesome. So like there's, there's guys in the system who are going to be here just because 
you know, they still are under contract for a while. I'm sure they're not very happy about it, but they <laughs> really don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's some younger guys that are going to still be here that are worth cheering for. I think everybody in the, in, on the roster is worth cheering for, but they're just not the same. They're not at the same level that like Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman are. Yeah. So, well, and it's kind of hard to ask. It's unfair to ask that of them when they don't have the support to become that you know, who knows what right. potential they have if they're not getting the right support and the right training, the right, you know, if no one's telling them how to look at their swing, that's, it's not fair. Okay, baseball fans, here's a completely new and original commercial that you've never heard before, okay? Maybe? Don't quote me on that. Fun fact, that meow is actually my roommate's cat, Florence. And Florence, she disapproves of everything except this podcast. She's actually a really big fan. Anyways, back to the show. Um, so who do you think is your most underrated player right now? Like, who do you think is going to maybe have a breakout season for you? Rymel Tapia, for sure. Yeah. He's going to win a batting title this year. He is awesome. Um, I mean, I think if you know, opening day was any indication of what we have to look forward to from him. Like we're going to be in for a treat. He mm -hmm. um, is a great leadoff hitter. He's great in the outfield. He is quick. He can steal bases. You know, he can cover large areas in the outfield defensively. He's got a rocket arm um, and he's got a beautiful swing. Um, you know, he's really, really good when he's in the batter box. Um, and I don't think really anybody outside the state of Colorado who isn't like a diehard baseball fan really knows about him, which is so crazy to me because he really is so talented. He is. And, he is. Um, if he doesn't win a batting title this year, I will be shocked. Um, so I think Rymel Tapia is for sure up there. Um, and yeah, I think people, if you don't know the name, know the name because he's going to be really good. <laughs> well, I think, I think uh, opening day events probably helped with that, with the uh, Cody Bellinger home run into a single right. <laughs> habit. And I, you know, I've looked at it five different ways. I think everyone made the right weird decision because Tapia had the ball. It just kind of scraped out of his glove on the way down. Like it was, it was a spectacular catch that just got, yeah. you know, knocked around. And I don't think there's anything he could have done with it. Turner did the right thing. It was in the glove. He turned around as soon as he could. And, you know, if you yeah. don't pay that much attention to what Cody Bellinger's telling you, I'm not, I'm not terrible. <laughs> Although Cody is so smart at baseball, but you know, sometimes you might not always know if he's, uh, uh, with it, but I, you know, right. but I think that whole crazy thing aside, um, I, I, yeah, Tapia was definitely someone who I was looking at, um, as exciting and, and, you know, you, you gotta love an outfielder with ups and he definitely has it. So, uh, you have been into the stadium this season, probably in a limited area. You don't get to move around very much. Um, I have been to Coors Field, as I mentioned, it's really exciting. I sat in the outfield, went to BP. I walked all around, um, it's a really lovely stadium. And I do, I actually do know, uh, one of the persons who worked on the Dodger stadium renovation. And I know they actually went to Coors and looked at Coors and, you know, kind of took, took, took a lot of notes from that and a couple other different parks in the area too. What is it about the stadium that's special to you? Like where, where's, where's that one spot where if you could only sit there for the rest of your days, where would you pick, where would you go? I would pick the purple row third deck on the ride because on that side you get to look over the stadium and see the Rocky Mountains in the background. Um, and when the sun sets at Coors Field, there is 
nothing in the world like a sunset over Coors Field at night right before the lights come on and you can see the mountains and the skyline in the distance um and the purple row is iconic like oh, yeah. you're up literally a mile high that's 5,280 feet above sea level um and I could live literally the rest of my life sitting in the purple row watching a Coors Field sunset with the Rocky Mountains in the distance and baseball in the field like I'm pretty sure when I die, my ashes need to be spread there because <laughs> it's just iconic. Like I, yeah, I mean, it's one, like the purple row is, you know, makes Coors Field unique. Um, and yeah, I, I love it. I love it up there. And it's just so like serene and beautiful, especially when you catch them on a, 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 a like a Wednesday day game and no one's there. It's just, mm -hmm. it's so cool. I love it up there. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I did. I didn't make it up to the purple row. Um, but I definitely like walked and my seat said it had mountain views. It was not a mountain view unless that building was called mountain. Um, but, yeah. but I definitely could see how beautiful, how beautiful it was. And I did get that kind of day into night transition and it was, it was really lovely. Uh, I have to say, yeah. I really enjoyed, um, like the fans. I ended up sitting next to other Dodger fans because it was a Dodgers game. There was a lot of Dodger fans there, but there was, there, <laughs> well, I mean, Dodger fans travel well. And that's the thing that, that's the thing that ESPN says about us. Dodger fans travel well. And I guess it's true. Uh, but it was, it was really enjoyable to just interact with people and, you know, it had good food. It had a good, it just had good vibe. It was, it was really fun. And I absolutely envy the public transit system that dumps you basically like a block or two away. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I You'll was there. you have to come back out and check yeah. out uh, McGregor Square. So yeah, um, that was, that was, I feel like it was under construction and people had kind of talked about it. Um, yeah, it's not open this year. There's yeah. still some things going on where construction wise, but for the most part, it's open and it's really, really cool, which pains me to say, because again, that's another Montfort creation, mm -hmm. real estate development type thing. But um, I mean, look, look, like Dick Montfort is a baseball owner, zero out of 10. Dick mm -hmm. Montfort as a real estate developer, 10 out of 10. Like yeah. the stuff that yeah. he's built and the way that he's invested in lower downtown specifically um, has been awesome. And a lot of the things that he's done just for the city, like outside of baseball has been great because he really has contributed a lot to kind of changing the culture around like lower downtown and around Coors Field. Um, so McGregor Square is really cool. Obviously I love it because it's named after the iconic Kelly McGregor. So um, yeah. yeah, you'll have to check it out. It is really cool. I have to say it. as much as it pains me to admit. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that that's almost more frustrating because if you got someone in there who did know baseball and did make good decisions, it would be a dream because yeah. that is another thing that I noticed even without the squares completion that the park fit well into the area. And, yeah. you know, here at Dodger Stadium, we're like literally in a ravine away from everything, I, which is fun, but- I hate it. <laughs> I, I, went, I think I went two summers ago and uh -huh. I swear, whoever decided to build a ballpark on a ravine with one entrance and one exit had to be a man because that was a horrible decision. <laughs> well, horrible. I have to say we sat in traffic for hours trying to get into the ballpark. <laughs> well, there's there's definitely different. Um, there's a lot of things that happened in our renovation, which, you know, talking about uh, the All-Star game, we were supposed to have the All-Star game in 2020 
And there was a, a ton of effort and honestly, a ton of love put into it. Uh, so there's not much they can do about the, you know, being off the freeway and stuff, but there's several projects that are in the works. Uh, Elon Musk wanted to build us a tunnel from like K-Town to the stadium. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Uh, there's a gondola project that's supposed to be like a big sky tram from you, from the, um, main city hub into the station who knows but yeah that's that's the thing i will say the stadium itself is a lot easier to get in and out of now um and as someone who has gone to the stadium recently because that's where i voted that's where i got my covid testing that's where i got my first vaccine shot you know that sort of thing yeah it, it that that situation could could absolutely be better but the way it's built there's not much you can do about it uh i do think we miss out on the nightlife it was really, really nice to be able to walk out of Coors Field and like straight into a bar, like straight into yeah. a restaurant. They've mm -hmm. built up the area around Dodger Stadium to where like they're gonna keep it open after the game, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, that being said, I, I still, I still love my stadium. I, you know, yes. everybody loves their home, their home stadium. Very true. Uh, so, I question: Have you ever caught? a bag of Cracker Jacks at the seventh inning stretch. Uh, I have not. <laughs> I have not unfortunately been a participant or witnessed that uh -huh. at all. So <laughs> I, that, just the, that was the thing that stuck out to me as just so bizarre. Cause I was sitting on, you know, on, on first base side in the out, in the outfield, um, like kind of all right on the first baseline was where I was looking. And I was looking over at that. I was like, are they, are they doing that? And the, the, the two women who are Rocky fans behind me were like, yeah, it's really funny when someone gets hit in the head. <laughs> it was, just, it was oh. such a bizarre thing, but you know, if, if it's a, if it's a feature, it's a feature. Looking forward, what do you expect from the Rockies this year? I know it's going to be a tough year, but what do you, aside from, you know, potential trades and things like that, what do you, what do you expect out of them as a team? Um, unfortunately, you know, I think it were, heading towards a, a hundred loss season. So it's not going to be great um, in terms of win losses, but I think there are still going to be things and moments that are going to be exciting and worth cheering for, you know, the roster that they have now, um, a lot of these guys, you know, they haven't had a lot of major league baseball playing time. So, you know, we're going to get to see if the Rockies were able to really develop these kids and turn them into something that is worth major league talent and time. Um, you know, they don't have any expectations, right? Like nobody's expecting the Rockies to be good. So I think they're going to be able to go out there, have fun, which is always, you know, important when you're playing a sport, but to, you know, really try to prove themselves because nobody is expecting anything from them. So um, you know, the pressure's kind of off, like they're just, you know, they're kids out there playing baseball again. And, um, you know, I think that'll be good for them. Um, you know, they won't hopefully feel any time, like, like they, you know, uh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, like, I get I, it. I totally I, get it. Yeah. I don't think there's like any expectations for them. So they're just going to be able to go out there, play baseball, do the best that they can maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Um, you know, we're all kind of along for the ride of seeing what they're going to be able to do because not, I don't think any of us really truly know. Like, you know, we have an idea that Rymel is really talented. We have the idea that they've got some young pitchers coming up that might be able to help their tragic bullpen situation, but you know, nothing is ever guaranteed in baseball. So we might be pleasantly surprised at some of these guys that 
you know, are getting some more time to shine because, you know, the focus isn't on Nolan or it won't be on Trevor when he gets traded or any of that type of stuff. So um, I'm not expecting a lot, but I'm still hoping that um, there are, and I think there will be some of those bright moments that we'll all get to kind of get excited about and guys that we'll be able to cheer for because they're good people and not just because they're good baseball players. Yeah. Well, I have to ask because you guys did lay a pretty good beat down on our ace, Clayton Kershaw, yesterday or the own opening day. Yes. Uh, did that kind of change your opinion a little bit about it? Or do you think maybe like everyone was just kind of out, out for blood and ready to prove themselves? Do you think that's a sustainable? No, um, unfortunately, I don't. I think, you know, it was the first game of the season. So, um, you know, there's going to be some first day jitters, um, you know, a lot of the errors and like the wild pitches that the Dodgers had aren't going to happen again like that. I, at least I don't think they will. The, I hope the not. Dodgers, <laughs> as much as it pains me, literally, or hurts me so bad to say, the Dodgers are too talented to let a game like opening day happen again. Like there were errors all over the place, mistakes that were just like rookie level mistakes, like, you know, wild pitches. Mm -hmm. fastballs like all these types of things that you just don't expect from the Dodgers um and like I said I think you know it was the first real game of the year um so there's probably some spring training jitters still in there um you know maybe even a world series hangover type of (laughs) happening well yeah you know it's funny you you say that because a lot of uh or at least it's been kind of set around is a lot of the players don't feel like they actually won um, because there was no parade, there was no celebration. Like they basically went back to the hotel and had beers, you know, (laughs) like, um, and then, you know, unfortunately with the Justin Turner situation, even that was kind of overshadowed. And, and, um, and so I think a lot of them kind of feel, I don't want to say cheated because they won and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and everyone who's trying to downplay it is like, well, if your team won, you would think it was legit. Like it was the same, you know, that sort of thing. But I think they definitely kind of have a little bit of like, you know, it took so long to get, and then it was this year. And I don't think they anticipated how odd it would feel to win in that year. So I think they are absolutely on the goal. I mean, it's everyone's goal to win the World Series. Well, in theory, Um, but I think they're definitely wanting to, they still kind of have something to prove. And I think they're wanting to come out for it. Um, That being said, I think opening day was a, one of the things that is both wonderful and frustrating about the Dodgers is that they live and die as a team. And especially after and Turner, you know, is the heart of the team. And especially after he had that base running error, I don't, there was no coming back from that mentally. And that can be frustrating to watch um, the guys, you know, feed off each other's energy. Most of the time, that's a great thing because they're very good. But then something like that happens and you're just like, well, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, <and I> think, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, the Rockies played opening day, like, the type of no expectations baseball that I was talking about. Yeah. Like yeah. They were honestly, just like, yeah. We're going to go with it. Like Chris Owings was like three for three, a lead off triple. Like it was just like, I think it was just like the opening day magic. And they were just playing with that, you know, that like the reckless abandon that I think that they're going to play the whole season with. Yeah. So as much as I would love to say that it is going to be undoubted sustained success, I just don't unfortunately see that happening. I think also yesterday was a good kind of, 
you know, true, I think yesterday was a true reflection of what the Colorado Rockies are, right? Like they're a bunch of unproven guys that are just trying to figure it out together. Um, You know, they don't really have a lot of team chemistry because like a lot of the team is so new. Yeah. So, you know, where the Rock, where you were saying the Dodgers, like they win as a team and they lose as a team. Like, you know, the, the Rockies don't really have that type of camaraderie built yet because they just haven't played together for a while. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just don't think the opening day magic is going to continue for uh, at very much longer, if at all. Um, you know, they were getting no hit through the seventh inning last night and they were down 10 runs going into the seventh. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I getcha. Well, I, I actually, I enjoy Rockies games for uh, several reasons. I mean, Arenado was one of them, but you know, I, I truly wish six more success for you guys because um, like, it's almost a selfish wish because like, I want to play against good teams right and you know you oh, don't you'll get to go against the Dodgers all season long, or sorry against the, the Padres, Padres all yeah season long, so. <laughs> um, I know I'm, I'm sorry because that that's gonna be a battle that might be like a game uh 183 type of situation oh yeah like, I we're, the wire. we're so we're so ready for it um yeah no that's but that's what you want though like you want yeah you want, you know, what's the, what's the, it's like a biblical phrase, iron sharpens iron. Like you want to, 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 to play well. And also just, it's, it's more fun to play against a team that, you know, there's, there's more. I don't think anybody ever wants to see someone fail like horribly. Like, you know, there's always going to be division rivalries and, you know, chirping and all that and whatever. But Mm -hmm. like when an organization is struggling as truly as struggling as bad as the Rockies are struggling right now, it's, it kind of takes away, like you were saying, like yeah. that fun divisional competition. And it just mm-hmm. is like a pity factor. Like you're just like, oh, we have to play the Rockies today. Like, oh God, like I feel so bad for them. And like, you just don't ever want to see that. Like you always right. want to have like that fun competition. And unfortunately, I think our front office has taken us out of a competitive sphere. And so now it's just like, a unfortunately, a pity show whenever, you know, you have to play the Rockies, you're like, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm... I'm, I wish all the best for your franchise. Uh, and even though we're currently in a series, I will say like just this one time, go Rockies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, we play again tonight. And I, this, this'll, this'll, the series will be over by the time this, this airs. Uh, but yeah, we're still in a, in a happy, hopeful mood. And, and thank you so much for talking with me. I really enjoyed it. And um, I really do look forward to the day when when it's just a rivalry unmatched. I'm, I'm excited about that. We're coming for you one day, maybe five <laughs> yeah. years down the road. But no, thank you so much. I love yeah. talking baseball and I especially love talking baseball with other women who love the sport as much as I do. So thank you for having me on Absolutely. the show. I had a yeah. great time. <laughs> uh, do you want to give us a little uh, heads up of where we can find you online and where we can find your podcast? Yeah. Yes. So I'm on Twitter at Michaela E. Perkins. Um, that's my Twitter handle. And then um, I'm also the director of social media for our entire company. So DNVR sports. So follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DNVR underscore sports. And then my podcast is on Twitter as DNVR underscore Rockies. So come check us out. We do post game shows, pregame analysis, all that good stuff, series wrap ups, um, player interviews. We're at every game. So we are doing as best as we can to cover this beautiful mess that we have to look forward to. So um, give us a follow.
Absolutely. Well, I better let you go. You better get to the ballpark, girl. It'll be fun. Oh, I know. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Bye. Thank you again so much, Michaela, for taking the time to speak with me. So by now, the Dodgers Rocky series is over. And wow, was it a weird one or was it a weird one? Because it was definitely a weird one. A two-run homer that became a one-run single and an out. A dinger attempted robbery that became an inside-the-park home run. Fountains going off. And of course, cat on the field. The Dodgers only hit one official, it actually left the field home run in Coors Field. Weirdness all around. Though, we did pick up the series win. Next, we face off against the Oakland A's. And if you haven't heard our episode with Callie Sai, you really should check it out. She knows her stuff. Do you like the show? You should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Both the cool and the uncool kids are doing it, so you really have no excuse. If the baseball gods are willing and the COVID numbers don't rise, we'll see you here next week. Baseball Neighborhood is a production of Dodger Yard.